The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. G'day everyone, Macca19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. Look, tonight we've got two guests because Rick's having some time off. His, uh, his work's taken control and uh, he's no longer able to, uh, to find a couple of hours to do this. Um, so we've got a couple of guests this evening. Uh, the first is Ford Fairlane. How are you, mate? I'm well, yourself? Good, buddy. Good to have you back on. Good to be back. That's the way. And the next is Fort Support. How are you, mate? Mate, very good. The Mod Squad. We're here. Who's guarding the board? <laughs> Hopefully, Rick. <laughs> oh dear. Alrighty, let's get straight into it and talk about our love and hate, if we can find a love. That is, I guess. Um, Ford, do you want to start us off with this? Well, one? I've, I guess I've been on the bandwagon for a little while now. I'll, I'll go with um, Billy Frampton, the the young drafted ruckman from from Western Australia, is playing in the Sandfall at the moment. Um, really enjoying what I'm hearing about him and. Uh, from what I've seen him play, exciting player, um, tall, athletic, and more than a healthy dose of white line fever, which I think um, all Port supporters appreciate. So uh, really enjoying what he's been bringing to the field and and his ability to play as a a good quality ruckman at you know 19 or whatever he is in the sandful in his first year. I mean, we've, we've cycled through a lot of ruckmen through our rookie lists and with late picks, as you know, and most of them have been about under 19 standard in their first year and and many haven't progressed beyond that i, I noticed uh, mitch kerno playing for north adelaide on the weekend i, I assume yeah. it's the same mitch kerno that was from sturt was on our, on our list for a little while i and think so it, it's been years later that he suddenly bobbed up and and looks well he, he played pretty well from all accounts kicked three goals on the weekend but uh, to have a young guy come in and really um assert himself and and be really strong and aggressive at the ball is just terrific. That's it. Have to agree there. He's had a good start to his career, and you know maybe he might get more of a go at AFL level um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think he's he's surprised a few. I think a young ruckman. It's you usually say park him for three years and see how you go, but he's um, he's really grabbed the bull by the horns, if you like, and um, announced his arrival. Absolutely, Forza. Do you have a love? Oh, it's hard. You know, it's hard to have a love after after the weekend. It's obviously nothing at AFL level, so I'm going to have to follow Ford's lead and, and go to the SANFL. And my one love would have to be the performance of Angus Monfries. Here we have a guy who's not had the the best of years. I thought he's been rather serviceable as a, as a defensive forward, but he had a a fairly shocking game where he was subbed out and dropped, and yep. he had the exact right attitude back in the SANFL. He had a week off, he comes in, 26 disposals, four goals, screams, select me, put me back in the AFL, it's where I belong. But that would have to be uh, the love. And actually, I actually have a second love as well, which um, I don't know how long this has been happening for, but I've noticed that uh, our president... Uh, David Koch has stopped with his uh, 
SMSing of opposition teams when they embarrass us. So <laughs> I like the fact that he's finally shut up about that. <laughs> that's that's a that's a very good love. I do like and enjoy that as well. Maybe we'll go back to telling him to get stuffed. Well, you know, I get the feeling that uh, that Tribe's thread there might have actually hit a nerve or two at the at the club, and there might have been um, some discussions had about about how the senior leadership should behave and, and be viewed uh, to the public. So I think there's yeah. definitely there's been something there's been something happening in terms of uh, the messages coming from the very top, which is it's it's good to see. It's good to see. It is. It is. How about you, Zach? It's a humility. <laughs> mm. It is. That's right. Um, look, my love is uh, Tommy Cleary. I thought he had his career best game on the weekend, and in a in a game where we were just completely bombarded um, in the defensive fifty, time after time, and you know, our midfield didn't give a yelp, and you know, Jackie Holmes had an absolute horror game, and you know, here's this uh, this kid in what his sixth or seventh game, Tommy Cleary. And just had a, a fantastic effort out there. And, you know, he, he kept Cramery uh, dead quiet in the first half. I think he only had four touches. And went on to the, the very dangerous stringer who was best on ground at halftime. Mm. Um, and kept him to just four touches after halftime as well. So, you know, for a, a defender to, to be, in my opinion, best on ground in a game like that was a uh, an absolutely marvellous effort. Yeah. Oh, that- very impressive. He's he's got a touch of the Marty Leslie's about him, I reckon. He's mm. those big shoulders, number seventeen, sops down, no frills footy, um he's strong overhead and does all the right things, reads the ball coming in well and he's just gonna get better and better. Absolutely. He's also our our best depth player in terms of the next one that comes in if we lose a, a key defender. Out of all the areas on the field, he'd be probably the absolute best it it gives us you know it just makes me confident that if Trengo, Bacala or Homsch miss with injury or get suspended that Cleary can plug straight in and he can do a job yeah yeah he's been impressive all year but um you know this is certainly the standout moment in his breakout game and you know hopefully he can continue to grow from this and you know he should probably get a chance to play the rest of the year um, and we'll see how he goes next year. But, you know, he's had a really good grounding in the SANFL. He's played really good football there for the last two years. And, you know, it's great to see him take his chance when it's come along. Yeah, yeah, definitely. On to our hate, which obviously could take a, a fairly long time, I guess. Uh, Ford, do you want to start us off with this one? Probably, um, yeah, as you said, there's, there's a few to choose from. I, I'm pretty much over some of the the unseemly, if you like, goings on around commentary on on what Jay Schultz is going to do. I mean, the, yep. he's he's not come out and said I'm leaving. It's it's been media commentary driven the whole way. Schultz is going to do this, Frio this, and he's been he hasn't been offered enough, and he's going to quit. And you know, it's you know, let the guy sort out his contract and and get it done. I mean, even you know when you. You've got Tony Shaw coming out and making comment about it, and it's really not necessary. He's he gives you know 110 percent every week. He gives his all. He's he's a true warrior of the game, and I I really hope he stays and plays out his career at Port. I I think that really bugged me. I think this morning was was uh, a writer in the uh, the paper sphere, shall we say, 
having a, his uh, commentary on how apparently every Port supporter wants to see Schultz gone, loyalty in football is dead, you know, and we're all saying get on your bike and get on your way. Well, that's not true. It's, it's just a nonsense. I mean, everyone understands the reality of modern football and players move on. But if there was one bloke you want staying at your club to the end of his career, it's Jay Schultz. And uh, I, I really, yeah, the, the thing I hate is just some of that, that 24-7 football news cycle driven commentary about what he's going to do. I think just let him make a decision and, and go with it whichever way he goes. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. You know, it's, it's, it, it is, a, as I said on the forum, I'm, I'm pretty shattered at the thought of Jay Schultz actually not finishing his career at Port Adelaide because mm. he's been such a warrior, such a, a great player for our footy club. You know, he came to us from Richmond where he you know, didn't really have the best start to his career. And you know, he's just made every post a winner at Port Adelaide and you know, all the supporters love him. You know, everyone mm. at the club loves him and you, you just hope that um, he's able to sign a contract which uh, he's comfortable with and the club's comfortable with and he can finish his career here. You'd like to think that at the end of the day, if, if what it comes down to is both both give a bit of ground, and that's what usually happens in football, that someone takes one position, someone takes another. Always, there's always the managers in there stirring up the nest a bit and going, well, well this club's interested in him. And at the end of the day... Each will say, well, you know, I, I took a bit less. And the club will say, well, we offered a bit more and, and now everyone's happy. And so everyone walks away a winner and he stays, which is what he should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Forza, what about you, mate? My hate. I think, I think my hate would just have to be how we absolutely just gave up on the weekend. Yeah. That's, you know, seeing... Seeing your captain absolutely try his guts out and then be set upon by three or four players every time he goes near it, it just that's just not on. Like, time and again in that game, we were outnumbered, something shocking. And it wasn't just at certain points of the game. After the first 10, 15 minutes, they just absolutely monstered us all over the ground. It's it's almost like they had two or three extra players on the park, and you know that's not true, and and you know that we're more than capable of matching that with our work rate, but it just wasn't there on the weekend, and that for me is uh, yeah, it has to be the biggest hate, absolutely. Yeah, no, we were absolutely monstered. I think we had what 130 less disposals, 20 less contested possessions, uh, 15 less inside fifties, and almost 20 more clangers. So. Yeah, it certainly wasn't our best performance and, and probably the worst performance under Hinckley in the oh, whole easy, era. Easily. It's it's shades of 2012, 2011 with that sort of that sort of game. And, you know, we wouldn't have beaten anyone had we played anyone else in reality. And if we played Essendon this week, we probably would have lost that game. Yeah. Well, I think just... That's certainly what prompted the press conference from Ken after. Um, he certainly seemed to be really disillusioned with what they served up and you know as, as far as Ken gets he was uh, he pretty angry about it because he certainly while he doesn't name names and you wouldn't expect a coach to come out and name individuals and that that's just um that's just destructive but to really he really made the point about that the failure as a team because he's very much team first and we just didn't do the team things and too many guys playing, as he said, you know, guys out of form trying to play for themselves. 
and um, and not doing the team thing instead. And I think part of that is, as as you said, Forza was about Boak being beset all the time, and nobody's running in and putting a block on or shepherding or just creating some space and just spreading. It's always spreading. You know, get me the ball, get me the ball, and. It's it's really you could see it really got to him. I mean, he was really upset about the way we went about it, and I think it was the first time he's come away from a game as he said that you know he, he's not he wasn't proud of the effort they put in. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mac. I just wanted to make the point that Hinkley, you know, he the statement's been made that the club made a big effort to keep the group together for 2015 after the success of 2014. And, you know, the way I interpret that is some players who would have otherwise been moved on were, were kept. And the real candidate player there, I think, is, is Paul Stewart. You know, he, he got a two-year contract. He's, he's loved around uh, the club. He's, he's one of the, the favourite boys there. And they kept him on to keep that sort of camaraderie there and the players in a sense they haven't repaid that faith and yeah you can definitely hear it in Hinkley's voice that he's been uh, bitterly disappointed with how the years panned out from that that respect yeah no that's a good comment that's a, a very good comment the the loss reminded me a lot of a couple of losses to Carlton back in the late sort of uh, late part of last decade where you know it was sort of Late in the year, and we were sort of just hanging on to finals by the, mm-hmm. you know, the the grit of our teeth, and you know we ended up going over to Etihad Stadium and getting absolutely pummeled by Carlton a couple of times, and you know it just had that sort of feel about it where you just ended up going, that was just absolutely crap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a game, I think there was a game here as well as I recall back at the old days at Footy Park where they they did something similar to us as well probably two years in a row, those games where we, we'd get out to a good lead and then just get reeled in and fall apart. Yeah. No, that's right. But my hate this week is the regression of Jack Homps since uh, Bobby Carlisle's been out of the side. and you know, He just hasn't been able to adapt his game to being the number one key defender, which is pretty disappointing. And we all know he's at his best when he can sort of zone off and, and drop in front and take those intercept marks that we all love um, as a third man. But, you know, I'm... Feel he's still sort of zoning off too far, and, and mm. there isn't another Jack Homsch in the side uh, to perform his previous role in the team at the moment. So, you know, in the last seven weeks, he's had obviously great games against um, Travis Cloak and Josh Bruce, and uh, beat them convincingly. But he's also been well beaten, absolutely pants by Lockie Henderson, Sam Reed, Taylor Walker, Kyle Hooker, and, and now Jake Stringer. And a half of football had three and a half goals kicked on him. So, you know, I think um, he's absolutely got to improve that next year because um, you know Carlisle's body isn't the most reliable thing out there and uh, if we're going to rely on Jack Homsch to be the number one key defender um, he's got to learn how to uh, tighten up on some of these players yeah spot on I reckon yeah, it's yeah. certainly as I said it really shows the importance of Carlisle as a, you know that the big strong defender and, and a bit of a general back there as well and, and picking up that main forward yeah, you really get an appreciation for how valuable Carlisle is, particularly if you look at how many points we've conceded in the past, what, six, seven weeks compared to at the start of the year when Carlisle was in the team. It's, you know, it's, and now, of course, that, that you factor in the midfield's ability to run two ways and, and whatnot, but the defensive unit has certainly 
not performed as well with Carlo out the team and Hompsch is a bit of a bit of a culprit, bit of a victim there because he's been asked to play uh, a different role and he's I guess he's just not suited to it just yet. It really sort of makes you appreciate the sort of the team within a team aspect, doesn't it? And it reminds me of um, I had a, a chat with uh, Mission Possible once, and he was we were talking about uh, Siri Rakawaza, and and he was saying Rakawaza's fine, but he really relies a lot on Corey Beard in the back pocket coming and and helping cover for him. And um, I think there was a game uh, might have been against Sturt when when Josh Jenkins was was still aligned with them and. Um, Beard was out, and I think Jenkins kicked eight goals on Rakawaza, and he just looked all at sea. There was no one coming across, no one over the top, any long ball in. It was just one out all the time. And I think they get used to playing their particular roles within that defensive unit, and suddenly when a, a key plank is pulled out of it, it's, it, it really has unbalanced it. It's almost like you've got three second or third defenders there with, with Clurie and Homsch and, and Trengove, and not a, a genuine number one defender. Yeah, well, really we've to... given up. Uh, we've given up a hundred points in four of the last seven games without Carlisle, and I think we only did it twice in the first eleven. So, quite a big uh, difference there, I think. Mm. I guess it's also a learning thing for Cleary as well, because with him in the team, he probably needs to do that chop out that Humphrey was doing earlier in the year and. I think he does it a few times. Like he's taken some really nice uh, intercept marks, and he's done some very good defensive efforts and kept his direct opponent uh, virtually scoreless, especially over the, on the weekend against uh, you know, in a ten-goal loss. But I guess it's a matter of helping out Humpsch, and that's probably where Humpsch is being exposed a bit as well. As he doesn't have the same sort of uh, support that he was giving Carlisle and whatnot. <laughs> That's it. Well, let's go on to our review. And as we know, Port played the Dogs at Etihad Stadium on Saturday and, and we're left with uh, arguably the worst defeat in the Hinkley era. We lost by 64 points, um, 9 goals 10 to 19 goals 14. Chatty Wingard and Jay Schultz were the only multiple goal scorers with two each. Um, I'd like to start talking about the first 15 minutes because normally in losses like this, we always say on the forum, you can tell in the first five minutes how it's going to pan out and you know straight away that we're going to lose. But... Um, this didn't play out like that at all. That first 15 minutes was, outside of the first quarter against Hawthorne, probably the best footy we've played all year. Um, we were aggressive, we were confident, really fast, skillful. We took the game on. It was great transition footy. We looked absolutely switched on and ready to rumble. And uh, what a pity it only lasted 15 minutes. Yeah, I was watching it and just thought, you know, beauty, we've, we're, we're on today. We've we've come to play, or you know, whatever the terminology is, and... Just thought this this is going to be this is going to be a beauty, and um, then kick those those three goals, and Hoff kicked that one out on the full, and it and it just seemed to turn a switch off. It it just vanished. Everything just vanished from that point. The the dogs just took control. Yeah, you can't blame Hoff for that. Um, no, no, that it was, being it was the just turning that point. point. And I, I know just... you're not doing it, but. It was actually the turning point of the game. <laughs> like the game completely changed after that moment. It, it was bizarre, you know. It was it was like he flicked a, he flicked an off switch somewhere, and and everything stopped. The machinery just ground to a halt. Yeah. And, and even then, I mean, that they got a couple of goals where there was a spillage out of the back, and a ruckman ran onto it. Uh, uh, St Kilda did something similar the week before. With they got a goal against us where. He, 
they all went up and, and Hickey, the big ruckman, round up at the back of it, ran off with the footy and, and opened it up. And you just said, well, they're really only kicking goals through a, a couple of lucky bounces. But then it just kept happening. And it got to the point where you, you couldn't even... It's a bit like the old the old saying about a batsman being out of form in cricket. You know, they, they nick the first ball every time. You can't tell if you're out of form because you're not actually getting to play any shots. And you couldn't yeah. tell if we were out of form because we couldn't get our hands on the ball. But then when we did, we, we just kept turning it over. And uh, it, it just got progressively worse from there. It would be interesting to see a bit of a sliding doors moment and see what would have actually happened had he kicked that goal and we, we did go four goals up. And I don't know, maybe we would have lost by 58 points instead of 64. But I don't know, maybe the game might have changed a little bit and you know more and more pressure got put on the dogs. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. And you know it really was the turning point of the game. You know The dogs just sort of turned themselves on and, you know, they started getting the ball out of the midfield with regularity and, you know, our defenders were all at sea. Well, it's, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, it's was, it was almost like we are waiting. We are just waiting for the Bulldogs' pressure to let up where we could just get back in, but it never really did. They were able to keep a phenomenal amount of pressure on us for the entire, entire game and, and they did it all over the ground. It wasn't really one area where we where we fell apart. You know, they smashed us. We smashed in the ruck. We smashed in the in the middle. They outworked our defenders too easily, and the ball barely got to our forward line to really give our forwards much of an opportunity. And when it did, you know, they were able to cut it off with relative ease in most cases because we still. And we'd be doing this all year. We do these blind kicks into fifty, or we kick it where there's there's no one. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like okay, this must be part of the game plan. When it's working, there's meant to be a player there that's going to mark the ball, but there's no player there that's going to mark the ball. But we're still kicking it into that spot. So, you know, where's the where's the thought process there? And often we'll, we'll just kick it to the wrong side of a player. There are a number of times we came down that the wing and the flank and, and centred it. And you know you've got Schultz up there and Ryder and Westhoff. And yet they they always seem to kick it just five metres too far to the wrong side. And mm. Really, all the, occasionally Schultz would go for some improbable specky that he'd just give away a free kick. Or Ryder would wind up just looking back at, at the guy and going, well, how am I going to mark that? You know, stick it over the other five metres the other side and, and on a chance. And it's it's a matter of, of degrees sometimes, but there were there were some really strange options and delivery of the ball in those in that game. There were, and there were some really bad reactive uh plays as well. In the last we we got a fast break in the middle, kicked it forward, and Wingard of all players was a foot behind his opponent who just marked the ball with ease. Mm-hmm. You know, for Wingard, of all players, for Wingard to be outmarked like that on the break is just, you know, you know something's wrong there because he is not a reactive player at all. And he would have, you know, 99 times out of 100, he would have gobbled that up and probably kicked the goal. But he was a, he was a foot behind and he was flat foot. No, was, that's right. I mean, that's almost quarter. I had given up. And, and I think that was again comes back why yeah. Ken Hinckley was so disappointed in the press conference and and I think there was a, I saw a report in the Age on the weekend about the game and there was a sort of a 
the whole page spread and there's a big art, big top parts all about the Bulldogs, how well they played, et cetera. And then underneath is, on the other hand, there was Port Adelaide and, and one of the points they made was exactly what Ken said at the, in the press conference was when they turned, when they turned up the heat, we melted basically. He didn't say that in so many words, but that that was what he meant. You know, when he was saying, "Well, you know, we we can be tough on our own terms, but we can't seem to bring that when the other team turns turns the the heat onto us." And by then, you know, that flat-footed stuff—it's almost as if, "Oh, well, never mind." You know, the game's shot anyway, and I'm, I'm not going to you know throw myself too hard at it. It just seems to be a a, a psyche that that comes over you and in those games, as, as Ken said, one team was hoping to win and another team wanted to win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that second quarter was just shocking footy. And it's not the first time we've seen a quarter like that this year. But it's probably the most drastic in terms of just how well it sort of finished the game. I mean, we've seen it maybe six or seven times where we've just been absolutely spanked in a, a 20 to 30 minute period where, for, for whatever reason, we go from looking... Absolutely A-grade. I mean, it happened against Hawthorne, happened against the Crows, happened against Sydney, where we look absolutely A-grade. And then for 15 to 20 minutes, things just turn to absolute crap. And we look absolutely shot mentally. We can't get our hands on the footy. When we do actually get our hands on the footy, we turn it over almost immediately. Mm. Can't get it in the forward line. Can't get it out of their defensive 50. You know, it's just the absolute worst of football, basically. Yeah, we have, we have those rush kicks out of the, the defensive fifty arc that go straight to their men that they've set up the wall across yeah. between half back and centre, and it comes straight back in again. <laughs> that happened about five times <laughs> in about six minutes. They're just waiting, then, and they know we're going to do it. It's like how how have we become so predictable so so quickly? Yeah. Where all they have to do is just sit back and say, "Yep, no worries, they'll kick it to us eventually." It's it's uh, we we almost hope for the turnover. You know, if that if that happens, we're away. And Eddie had it. Just it just doesn't doesn't happen. They they've got a side they've basically built to play there, and they're really good there. And I think um, I think even um, last week, if we'd played St Kilda at Eddie had, I think it, it could have been a different result. You could see the way St Kilda were trying to play, and they they just couldn't quite finish play off. You know, in under sunshine in weather. But in the uh, the sort of the hermetically sealed environment, it's it's a different style of game, and uh, there's a couple of there's some teams there that have definitely built their sides to play there, play really good footy there, and the Bulldogs are one, and they just brought that all to bear. It was similar like I watched them beat the Crows there by seventy odd points earlier in the year, and it was pretty much the same deal that they just use that ground really well. They just hit target after target, and um, and know how to play there. So what was the cause of that second quarter disaster? Was it the midfield? Because there was a lot of times, probably more than I've seen in a game of footy for a long time, where we just looked up and just looked like an absolute deer in headlights and got caught um, from behind with the ball. That must have happened about six or seven times in that second quarter. So was it the midfield not knowing what to do? Was it a lack of forward movement? Was it the defence being too loose? Or was it just a, a, a bit part of all of those? bit of everything it's hard to tell without being at the ground and seeing how it all unfolds in in front of you but i guess you, you just keep coming back to those words of hinkley about you know a team that, that you know hungry and aggressive and can see you know the prize at the end of the day which which was us last year and, and even the year before and um really taking it up up to another team who's sort of 
put on the back foot a bit, doesn't quite know how to handle the, the pace and the pressure of the game. We, we seem to have slowed down this year in the way we play as if we've either tried to add something different to our game plan or just trying to find almost a, an easier way to play. Uh, the start of the season when they talked started to talk about, oh, we're going to, we're going to do more switching of the play because, you know, that'll open up this other side and, and give us a chance to set up loose men. And I'm thinking, gee, I heard all that under Primus. You know, we used to do that all the time. Switch, switch back, switch back again and wind up going nowhere. And you almost get into that sort of relaxed mindset where you've got this other team that's like a swarm of bees and it's just going to keep going and going and going. And... You, in the end, it's just wow. You know, this is this is all a bit much. I don't know what to actually do here. And we seem to have lost that instinctive footy that we were playing last year and the year before. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it comes down to work rate. So, so what you're saying, Maka, for me, it's a it's a little bit of everything. And the if, you know, just watching the dogs, they were so hungry, and you know, they made us look really slow it's like there's no way we're that slower team you know it's it's just not possible and and to be you know constantly facing uh, bulldogs having a plus one or a plus two at the contest you just you know you're never going to win those sort of contests and that's what that's what hinkley was saying in his after game uh, interview as well if you if you don't work that hard and they're capable of it they're definitely capable of it you know we're going to lose yeah, if you're not switched on for every minute, you're no good, and that's that's right. Um, that's that's probably the best thing they they said in that uh, interview for mine. Was the, you got to be switched on for the whole game, and we so weren't. Now look, as well as some of their guns played, I mean Stringer was arguably best on ground in the first half. He kicked four goals and just tore Jack Homsch to pieces. Um, you know, Bontempelli had a really good game. Matthew Boyd really controlled the half back line. Um, you know, Tory Dixon, one of those underrated players that I mentioned in the in the preview, he kicked three goals. It was really some of their unheralded players which really dominated the game. I mean, Shane Biggs, I mean, who the hell's he? He got 27 touches. Um, you know, Sam Daly in his first game for the year got 21. Um, Lockie Hunter got 31. Um, and Jack Redpath, who I sort of made a bit of a quip about in the, uh, the preview that, you know, this is the sort of game where we'll see him have his breakout game and kick four goals. Well, he actually did kick four goals. Yeah, shame on you. <laughs> We're asking for trouble. That's it. Yeah, Never I, heard uh, before this week. Never heard of him. No, mm. no. The only, as I said in one of the my posts, was the only the only red path I can remember is the Australian opening batsman. And he'd be about seventy now, so I figure it wasn't him. <laughs> but geez, he, uh, yeah, he made a bit of a mess of us. But yeah, as you said, the the sort of, well, I guess. Well, to someone like me, anyway, there were quite a few um, little-known players in there, and they were they were just chopping us up as well as the better-knowns. I mean, Stringer, of course, and Bontempelli did their damage, but as you said, there were um, quite a few blokes that not that well-known who who gave us a lot of hurt. Yep. So look, let's talk about some of the players. We've already mentioned Tommy Cleary and the fantastic work that he did. Um, during the game. Another sort of unheralded player in our team, Sammy Gray, he had a very good game. Uh, maybe a little bit sloppy early, but you know, for the second week in a row, he got uh, over 20 touches and, and really looked the plot out there. He's, he's picking up the pace of AFL footy 
more and more, I think, because he, he's, he's only played, what, 10 or 12 games, hasn't he? And most of those were sitting in a forward pocket. And I think you can see that he really thinks through what he's trying to do. And he's he gets he managed to buy he gets a little bit of time both with his movement and because he's a small guy you see guys are sort of they they think a moment before tackling him because they they know they'll take him high if they tackle at the heights they're used to tackling at you know those those hundred and eighty eight and hundred and ninety centimeter midfielders and um, he's he's quite clever in the way he he uses he wants to use the ball he can thread a handball through traffic pretty well and he spots up a target I mean he's even at that size playing sample footy, you've got to be a pretty decent player to, to do as well as he does. And he's he's brought it across there. I think he's he's much maligned and I think a little bit unfairly. And um, I'm, I'm glad to see him doing reasonably well. I thought he was, out of all of those second string midfielders that, that we're playing lately, he's done as well as anyone the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's definitely um, probably been the best of our depth players in the last couple of weeks and it's really good to see him actually play a similar role at AFL level than what he plays at SANFL level. At times before they've sort of put him as a forward pocket or a, or a high half forward and it's not it's not his best position. His best position is actually in the middle as, a, as an inside player and he's had a, a great opportunity to do that the last couple of weeks and He's been able to bring some of that SANFL form up into the AFL and, and just perform his role, which is great. The problem is, though, he's a bloody small player, and you can't you can't have a player like that as a as a mainstay in the AFL team unless they have some serious serious talent. So I'm I'm not saying that he that he won't get there, but you know the odds are are stacked against him, and there's a fair chance that he'll probably continue on being a depth player but as far as depth, depth players go he's probably going to at the very least have a sort of uh, Tom Logan like career where he's he's there on the list he's a good solid depth player and he's probably going to be able to at least eke out a, a decent AFL journey So where do you see him fitting? I mean I spoke about it last week on the podcast where I mentioned that I, I feel the club are sort of deciding at the moment what to do with Sam Gray because he's out of contract at the end of the year. They're going to have to make a decision whether to either redraft him as a rookie or put him on the senior list. Where do you think he fits at the moment? Do you think he's going to get a senior contract or do you think they'll look at redrafting or maybe give it a miss altogether? Well, he's eligible for third-year rookie, I would have thought. Um, that would be my preference. If it's... Is there a third-year rookie option? There should be. I thought there was. Okay. If, if the club and the player agree, unless that rule's changed, they keep changing rules. I can't keep up. But the last version I remember of it was that that, you, that there was a third year rookie. Okay. I don't see much point to promoting him to the senior list just yet. If we do, we probably have to delist uh, Paul Stewart to the rookie list. So, you know, you're not really achieving any net gain there in my opinion at least and, and um, you've got to promote Cracker yet as well yeah, yeah. Cracker's definitely um, have to be promoted so he would be one of the the three list changes going to the draft um, because if we if we do trade in Dixon 
we're, we're, you know, we're, we're toasting our first round pick, which will probably leave us with round two and three, and you don't really want to go much further than that in the draft. So we might promote Sam Gray just to make our three changes, but I'm kind of hoping that we draft at least two this year. Oh, I think we definitely need to draft at least three, maybe even four. Um, might be a little bit hard to see where they come from at the moment. I think maybe Mitchell might be in trouble. I think it's an absolute definite that we'll see Stewart delisted and then, and then redrafted as a rookie uh, so he can pay out his contract. Um, and obviously, I think Butcher might be gone. Um, where else we go from there? I mean, we might lose Young. We might lose Moore. We might lose O'Shea. Um, you know, the, I guess there's a few options there. Um, I guess it depends about the Charlie Dixon thing as well and, and whether we bring him in um, and what we need to give up to get him as well. But, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think Sammy Gray probably deserves another year on the rookie list if he can. If there is a third-year option. I think that's uh, that's perfectly fair. I don't think he'll get a job on the on the senior list just at the moment, but I think a, another year on the rookie list is, uh, is perfectly fair. It seems to be that, you know, the the simplest option anyway, that he's, he's shown a bit these last couple of weeks as a midfielder and as a depth player hasn't, hasn't uh, let himself down and has, I think, outperformed other higher draft picks that are, that are also in the side. And uh, but probably yeah, as Forza was saying that you've got the issue with his height and and um, whether he's just got that spectacular bit of X factor that overcomes that to keep him in the side. It's I guess there's there's it swings and roundabouts a bit with the the height of plays in the AFL. I mean if you're good enough, I mean Caleb Daniels obviously got his way into the Bulldog side and and he's shorter than Sam Gray and. There's a there's a few little short blokes running around out there again these days. So it's the almost the, the pure footballer has um, got a bit of a look in again. So hopefully um, he can can keep keep uh, sort of chipping away at it. I guess. I thought some of the usual suspects played all right. You know, uh, Robbie Gray was pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh... And, and something that set the uh, the Facebook guys into a bit of a tease. I had Brad Ebert and uh, Matty Broadbent in my best players as well. Um, I actually thought they were decent. I thought Brad Ebert played his best game in, in quite a long time. And, and Matty Broadbent's been pretty consistent since he got dropped earlier in the season. I think um, in in that defensive six, and I, I, I think I posted this um, a little while back, was that when you consider that, that Ken's game plan is probably built around really getting that rebound out of the back line and, and virtually every one of our defenders this year has either had a setback or has lost form. You've had Jonas, who looks like he's been carrying an injury all year and lost form. With Carlisle, who started the year like a house on fire, got injured when he came back. He could barely run and then he got injured again. And Trengove missed the pre-season and sort of worked into some form and had a minor injury. Um, Impey's been up and down. Pittard been Pittard and Brody got <laughs> dropped and then since he's got dropped and come back he's probably been one of one of the defenders who's really lifted his game at least to the level of last year and maybe maybe a bit beyond um yeah I agree I actually think uh Broadbent's uh back half of the season has been really um really good I, I can definitely see him finishing high up in the uh best and fairest come the end of the year and 
similarly with Brad, I think he's um, you know, he he does a lot of things right. It's just his uh, at times his kicking, and he's one of the culprits that kicks it to no one, heading into the forward fifty, and he's done it a few times this year. I do. I think I do agree with the general board consensus that he needs to go get his eyes uh, eyes checked at times because he just seems to just be a little bit off. So he might have a bit of uh, myopia happening there. He might just need a little adjustment, a la Daniel Pierce. And the sooner he does that, you know, there's someone he sees at centre half forward. I don't, I don't know who it is, but he picks him out, except that he's the only one that sees him. <laughs> It's the ghost of Bob McLean. I, I agree with you, Macker. I, I thought he actually played pretty well. I mean, he's so strong overhead and he runs so hard and works so hard. And it's a bit like Tommy Logan a, a few years back when he was always pilloried for, for his mistakes. And usually the thing with Tommy was it was always one memorable mistake and, and everyone remembered it. And, and then it was sort of a halo effect from there around his whole game. And I think Ebert suffers a bit from that as well, that the, the one clangor he has is usually so memorable. You, it's all people remember. Yeah, that's right. On to some of the poor names. I mean, it, it seems to be the same names that bob up every second week. Um, you know, Matty Loby was uh, was pretty disappointing. Do we think he might be playing injured? Because he was just a lame duck out there. He's been a, yeah. a lame duck for most of the year, really. it's uh, The Bulldogs game in Midley was probably the worst I've seen him. You know, to only have two touches to when he was, what, three-quarter time. And there are several instances where you see a ball up in the centre square. He barely makes the first effort. And before you know it, three or four different things have happened involving the opposition Ruckman. And there's another ball up, and then he's just catching up to get to the contest. You know, so it's... Effectively, we've been a, a man down in the middle on the weekend, and it's just... He's really out of sorts, and it's it's definitely not the Matthew Loby that was playing last year. So he has to be carrying something. He absolutely has to be. Yeah. I mean that that second effort's just not there, is it? Or third effort where he would tap the ball and then just and then hunt it straight away. As you said, Forza, it's just three or four things seem to happen before he gets involved. And well, that that's wasn't, right. That certainly wasn't the case last year. Well, he would like tap it and if the opposition gets it he will tackle that player and bring it to ground and yep. reset but we we've barely seen that at all this year and it's just like he by the time he gets to that first player the ball's already moved on to two different players mm. so it's just yeah there must be a hip complaint or something or maybe his quads never never recovered from the start of the year or this back who knows but it's just he's just not the Matthew Lobie that we've come to Knowing love from 2014. Yeah. Look, I didn't realise he Matty, was a He did have six tackles. He did? Yeah. He, he was our equal highest tackler on the weekend. But I do agree. It's um, Certainly it seems that way at the ground that um, that sort of second effort sort of isn't really there. He's just sort of tapping and, and that's about it. Um, a couple of others, uh, Cam O'Shea, Andrew Moore. I mean, they've had pretty good games in the last couple of weeks, but just seem to often revert back to, I don't know, a, a pretty poor level. Yeah, I think Moore's probably... Uh, that game, again, yeah. that, that Bulldogs game, is probably a, a career-killing game for him because, you know, when you get to the end of the game, 
the stings out of the game. There's virtually no pressure, and you torch your captain. It just, mm. you know, with 28 seconds to go, it's just not a, not a good look, and it just, you know, shows you where his headspace is at, and you know, maybe he's, he's at that point in his career where he just needs a, a change of scenery, needs to go to a new club that's going to give him a, a big kick up the arse. He, uh, for whatever reason, it's just not working for him at Port Adelaide. And it, the thing is, he's he's the player we all want to love. He's got the the size. He's he does have a decent skill set. He's a pretty good kick on goal. He's a he's a tough in and under player, but it just doesn't come together for him. It really doesn't. I mean, with, with Cam too, even playing in the sand for early in the year, that the number of times that Maggie, you would have seen this that that he was caught trying to take on three or four blokes to run the ball out of defence as if that it you know it just didn't matter you know if it happened that you know he he should be able to beat sandful players it was almost seemed to be his mindset and then he'd be shocked when he was caught and pinged for holding the ball 30 metres out and dead in front and so you sort of wonder where your headspace is at if you're doing that at that level when when you should be doing the team first things and and getting the team running from the back line We've certainly seen the same sort of errors creep into his game at AFL level as well over the last few weeks. So, I don't know. I'm, everyone knows I'm a, a massive Cam O'Shea fan. I, I wear his number on my Guernsey, but I don't know. It's just it's just hard. He's just uh, this sort of up and down thing. It's, uh, it's too emotional. I, I can't handle it. <laughs> I have to agree with you, Macca. I think his best and worst is on Grand, Sc- uh, Grand Canyon uh, proportions. It's just... Uh... Yeah. Scary how bad he can and be. A, yeah, I think he's driving another guy said, from that rebound fence that's just yeah. gone missing this year. I, I think Tribe said on the podcast of a few weeks back that you know his um, his range from his best to the worst is is the the biggest of any player that um, that we've ever had at AFL level, and yeah, you probably got to agree with that. Yeah, and I think I think the other one that, that disappointed me was Jakey Need. Um, yeah. Without picking, but the the thing I really stood out for me in that game was that he was so reactive to the ball coming out of the forward line that he doesn't chase a bloke to tackle them until the ball's gone to them, and it doesn't matter how much the opposition will telegraph that that's where the ball's going. He doesn't go until they've got it. Now he's quick, but he's not that quick. He gives everyone you no. Know, between 10 and 20 metre head start before he takes off after them. And they've got time to spot up a target upfield. And he's a you know, fantastic tackler for a little, little bloke and he's quick and, and he's courageous and he does all of that. But he just doesn't seem to read what's happening with the unfolding play. And I know it's unfair to always uh, you know, compare to someone like a McLeod, but that was a, he was a guy who, could just, who just read three moves ahead and knew where to be and, and where to cover the play. And we're really just asking this, you know, in this case, you know, just think one move ahead. Well, what's this guy going to do? You either run at him and try and smother his movement, but don't just stand there zoning off a piece of grass or try and cover the bloke who's going to, he's going to handball it to. So he's always, he's always there yapping at their heels, but it's always just a bit too late. And, and there was really, I can't recall too much offensively from him either. I don't know whether he's actually better off playing on a wing than as a small forward. Yes, he needs a tough one because for me, I, I absolutely love the guy. I think he's an absolute jet, but he he does tend to fade out of the game 
uh, quite a bit, probably more than he than he should. And yeah, I, I do agree with Ford that he, he does seem to just be chasing jumpers as opposed to really uh, reading the play well. You almost want to have uh, Cal, Cal, uh, Calhoun's uh, mind in, in, in needs, uh, at least he's reading mm. a play in in Need's body, because if he did that, Need would probably be a lot more prolific as a as a as a defensive uh, player. But yeah, it's tough because I think Need's now shown that he does have enough tricks in the bag to be a small forward. He can he can crumb. He's he's shown this year that he does have a decent goal sense where he didn't really show that. Uh, last year, he sort of struggled a bit uh, with his uh, set shots and his uh, snaps on goal. Whereas this year, he's been a lot more accurate. He's one of the few players that's probably improved in terms of uh, kicking goals in that sense. Um, but he's just as good on the wing. So for me, it's uh, it's really it just gives us uh, more options. So I'm not sure this one's position is better than the other for him. But I'm not keen on having um, short guys on on the wing. We're not having a lot of short guys on the wing, especially when we have uh, Sam Gray running around in the middle and, and Hoon coming out of defence, because uh, then we just appear short. Yeah. So what can we get out of the rest of this season? Well, really, we we absolutely, absolutely have to debut one of our developing forwards. Absolutely. Either Harvey or... Or Palmer or Howard, you know. I think Palmer and Howard probably had the more impressive games on the weekend. Give one of them a go, or even even debut Frampton. Give uh, Lobi a rest, or put him out to pasture, put him into surgery, or whatever. Give Frampton a game. But we have to see one of these uh, developing uh, key position forwards or, or Frampton debut. I reckon. There's certainly uh, there would be nothing to lose by by playing any of them now, given the season's shot. And I think you can still... I mean, I, I still want to see us win the last four games, but you can certainly, within that framework, give someone a shot and just see how they'll go. I think they've cycled through so many of the bottom end of the list anyway. And guys, that they, they play OK. I mean, um, Colhoun came on as a sub, and I mean, he was OK, but he, he, he didn't really do anything amazing either. And you certainly wouldn't be losing anything if you dropped him out and played Mitch Harvey what are you losing yeah, well, yeah not much right. at all I don't think mm. I mean could we see a lot of changes this week because might as well talk about the SANFL you know they won by 59 points over North um, they've moved into second on the ladder um, or third on the ladder I think um, they won 15 goals 16 to 7 goals 5 Gus Monfrey's in his SANFL debut for the Maggies kick 4 goals and Cracker back in action, kick three, and Jesse Palmer kick two for the winners. Um, could we see, you know, six or seven changes this week? Because Kane Mitchell had 38 touches and 15 clearances in a, a massive game. Gus Monfries obviously was best on ground with four goals. Uh, Archie and Amon had a fair bit of it. Cracker kicked three. Jesse Palmer's been in great form. Um, you know, Harvey probably deserves a bit of a shot, even though he's quiet on the weekend. I mean, we, we could really see a, a lot of changes this week. And maybe we should see a lot of changes this week. Oh, we, sh- we should see at least five, without without any doubt. We should see at least five. You can you can already see Monfries and Cracker will probably come in. It'll be hard not to give Mitchell a game on on the back of a thirty eight 
possession demolition job. Of course, that gives us the problem of having Sam Gray and Kane Mitchell in the same AFL team, but at this point, <laughs> you know, who cares? <laughs> and there were so many poor players uh, against the Dogs that, you know, uh, O'Shea, Need, Loby, uh, Hoon, I don't... I don't think he really did all that much when he came on as sub. He's, I don't see him as a as a sub player. So you know you can see, and Moore is, is the other one that, um, even though his stats don't look too bad, he, I, if you just watched his game, he just didn't seem to be with it for the majority of the game. So you can easily see five five changes without even having to think about it really. Yeah. I mean, Archie had 26 touches, 12 tackles, 6 clearances and a goal. So you would think he might be brought in for a, hopefully a full game. Oh, yeah. Deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. He's, yeah, he's, he certainly had a solid year. I think he's been a bit well, more than solid year at Sample level. And when he's had his couple of chances as a, as a sub, he, he's been, he was uh, showed quite a bit. And then when he did get his full game just had a stinker sadly and although I think in that game they, they did the, the one thing that they shouldn't have done was started him in a in a forward pocket or, or a deep half forward flank I'm not sure which one and I remember we spoke to him at uh, one of the sponsored dinner I think last year and he said he, he really couldn't work out how to get into the game in that position because when he was doing it in the reserves I think they were playing there was there was um Butcher and Harvey and probably one other tall up there and he said he, he spent most of his time trying to work out how to keep out of their way and couldn't find the footy and then we have a league game and you've got Ryder and Schultz and West off and I could see, you know, gee, he's going to have the same problem as he had playing down in the, the sandful that he's not going to want to get in their way so he's not going to find the ball and sure enough he didn't and when he went on the ball he just couldn't seem to get into it. And then he got dropped again. And I think it, it did knock his confidence around a bit. It took him a little bit of time back in the Sandful to start to, to find the footy again. It, it's a bit hard to judge Sandful form when you play North Adelaide, though, because they, they really suck. And um, I'd, I'd certainly bring Monfries and Cracker back because I think they've proven AFL standard players. I mean, the, they, they will play... They have the skill set and, and the, the reading and the speed of the game to come up and play well. And then, then you're starting to pick and choose a bit among the others as to who you'd, you'd give a shot to. I mean, Darcy Byrne-Jones was pretty unlucky in that sense that he got taken over as a spare and he missed out mm. against North. He probably would have picked up 30 touches. Well, they play uh, Glenelg this week, um, who was second bottom. And look, hopefully we can uh, get a win to... Uh... To look at really securing second spot on the ladder, Wessies, who are currently in second, I mean, we're only 0.1% behind them. Um, they play south, so hopefully south can do the job there. And yeah, We'll move into second and, and get the, the double chance, and you know, hopefully we can do something in the finals. Yeah, should, that should be a good game. But I think um, just while talking about that, probably mentioned the, the form of the academy side under Mark Clayton as well. I, as I, I didn't follow them that closely last year, although I, I don't think they were exceptionally good. But this year, they're, they're in they're in certainly in finals contention, as I recall, and it sounds like Mark Mark's doing a terrific job with them, and maybe some of this talk about would a hocking going back up into the, the assistant coaching rank might be uh, an opportunity for Clayton to move up and coach the league side. Yeah, well, they're currently second on the ladder in the reserves, so you know, he has done a very good job there. I think they were... Um... 
Yeah, they were really struggling at the start of the year from memory, and they, they must have won about six or seven on the trot now. So yeah, you know, they've done of... a they've done a great job. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 done a terrific job with them, and certainly it'd be great to see that the Maggies finish top three. I think early in the year it, it didn't look great for them either in the the league side, and um, they they've strung it together. And as I've posted on the boards, I was at a, a club eighteen seventy event and. As uh, Jacob Surgeon pointed out, that the, the average age of that side's probably around 20, and an average of 20 league games each. And even he said when when they dropped Jonas uh, back there, and um, and I think they were expecting Monfries, although he didn't play that first week. He said it would have brought their average age up to about 21, and average games up to 30. So they've been a bit up and down, but I guess you sort of lose track of just how young the side is, and and how inexperienced. So they've they've done well this year. I think they've sort of um, recollected themselves a bit from last year. They lost some good players at the end of last year and have brought quite a few young players in and maybe the side's not been that well balanced because there's a lot of young tall players on the list now after last year's draft. But they've they've fitted in well and um, they've, they've done all right. So what restrictions are we going to see placed on Woodville West Torrens next year? Because they're three games clear on top of the ladder in the league side. <laughs> they're a massive seven games clear and undefeated in the reserves. And they're also on top in the uh, in the Maccas Cup as well. So, yeah, what restrictions are we going to see placed on that club next year? The same ones they put on Centrals. Are they going to lose their, uh, their junior zone? We can only hope. Yeah, it, I think it only there's a what's the old saying about two sets of rules. Before we go, uh, just because I've just been keeping up with the the forums while I've been on online, uh, Archie has signed a one year extension for twenty six. Oh, fantastic news! So I imagine oh, great news. Well done. Work from the club, and he'll probably play next this week, hopefully. So it's terrific news. That really is great news. That's fantastic. Uh, well done. Well done for that's paying a big positive. <laughs> yeah, and, and yes, I think celebrate by giving him a game. <laughs> Absolutely. As the sub. <laughs> as the sub. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, wonderful. And look, as I mentioned um, at the start of the podcast, <laughs> that's it. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, Rick is probably not going to be able to be the, the co-host uh, for the rest of the year. His, his work really has uh, taken control a fair bit. So we're going to have Porsche on as the co-host for the rest of the season. Um, hopefully we'll still be able to hear from Rick every now and then. Um, and hopefully he might be back next year. Yeah, I think well, it's good to hear his business is doing so well. Hmm. But we'll miss him and his, his collection of squeaking toys and chairs. Absolutely. I think he just right. cut for him. Can't appear. Can't bow. now caught. Port Adelaide beginning to build. Foster's kick is through half forward. Knocked away by Hodges. On the run is Rowan Smith. Bends it to the goal square. And puts it through. Oh, a fantastic goal. Rowan Smith's first. And they're the sort of games that win matches. 